Father, we give thanks to you because your love endures forever. And Father, by your love and mercy, we're able to come into your presence to listen again to your word. So Father, we thank you for this grace that you've given to us, that you have not left us alone, but have given us your word and the ability to listen, to hear, to meditate, and to allow your word to change our lives. Father, we do not take that for granted. We thank you that we can dwell in the richness of your word and that you are alive and you do your miracles in our lives when your work is spoken. So Father, be with us right now. Remove distractions from us that we may concentrate, that we may love you, with our minds, our hearts, and our souls. In Jesus' name, Amen. J.I. Packer passed away last Friday. Packer was one of the most influential writers, theologians, and speakers of our present era. His book, Knowing God, is not only a bestseller, but it's also one of the best books written about God, and that says volumes. My professor, Dr. Don Carson, wrote a tribute article to uh, J.I. Packer that's published on the Gospel Coalition website. Don Carson remembers the time when he first met Packer. At the time when Dr. Carson first met Packer, he was just a first-year doctoral student at the University of Cambridge in the early 70s. J.I. Packer was invited to speak at the university. He was uh, taking the train from Bristol up to, Tin, uh, up to uh, Cambridge to give a lecture. And he was supposed to speak about the cross. The title of his message was, um, What did the cross achieve? The logic of penal substitution. When uh, Dr. Pipe, uh, Packer started preaching and speaking about the cross, and how the cross impacts our lives. It's not just a theological concept, but how it impacts our everyday existence. There was silence in the room. Everyone was just spellbound, not because Packer was bombast, because there wasn't any. The power came from a man who has been allured, who has been consumed by the beauty of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. After the lecture was over, tea and coffee were being served. Dr. Carson at this time slipped past the crowds and he wanted to see Piper's notes, which is all lying up there at the podium. So he quickly ran up the podium to see Packer's notes. And uh, to Dr. Carson's surprise, he found an outline of the notes written at the back of an envelope. Apparently it was written on the Packer's uh, train ride from Bristol. Packer didn't even have to write down every single word of his lecture. It was just an outline because everything that he talked about, the cross, was not just an intellectual concept that he had to write down in lecture form, but it was part of his life, part of his daily walk with Jesus Christ. That's why he could stand up at the podium and speak. And when he spoke, there was so much power because it came from a heart that has been ravished by the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. The lecture was later published in Tinder Bulletin and has become and has been published as a booklet too, has become one of the most important books on penal substitution in New Testament and theological studies. 
Packer reminds us how we need to embody the gospel, how we not only need to talk about it, think about it, but live it so that it becomes second nature, so that when we move, when we talk, when we have our being, we exude the cross and the power of Jesus Christ. We should be walking sermons, not just a 20-minute sermon, but we should be walking sermons 24-7 of our lives. This is what Ezra chapter 8 verses 1 to 14 is about. One of my pastor friends called this chapter one of the most unpreachable passages in scripture. Why? Because it's a book, it's a chapter, it's a, it's a passage about names. It names different individuals that follow Ezra back to Jerusalem. There is not much narrative, it's just Ezra bringing a bunch of people listed by their family names back to Jerusalem. But part of the reason why we don't understand this passage and it's so unbearable even to read is because we don't understand the importance of traveling in the ancient world. In our modern society, everything happens in a flash. Nowadays, in our COVID lockdown, we don't even have to go to a friend's house for a meeting. All we need to do is Zoom or Skype in our own bedrooms. We don't know much about traveling these days. Everything comes to us through our computers, our phone. But the ancient world, the people need to travel from one place to another. These journeys often take time. Ezra and his caravan of Jews had to spend five months five long months, making their way from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Ancient people spent a lot of time on the road. And on the way, they're going to meet robbers, gangsters, foreign armies. And to inoculate against uh, these groups, they have to self-protect. So how you travel becomes very important. You make a statement as you travel. You remember in Nahum chapter 2, verse 2, when the Assyrian soldiers travel, they make a statement. How do they make a statement? They all dress in red and they carry the red shields. Why red? It's a statement to all foreigners, to all foreign soldiers, to all robbers that try to attack them along the way by saying, don't mess with us. If you mess with us, we are going to cut you down and you become a bloody pulp. Look at our shoes, they're all red in color. Look at our uniforms, they're all red in color because that will what you will be if you dare to attack us. You'll become pulps of bloody blood. So as they travel, they make a statement by how they march, what they wear, and the demeanor that comes across. And that's why we have a passage here like Ezra chapter 8 verses 1 to 14. It's a way of telling is a way of a, a witness in the way in which Israel or the Jews marched as they walked back, made their way back from Babylon to Jerusalem. What do their walks signify? What message are they trying to convey by how they walk? As God has called us to walk His truth, what do we convey in our walk? So let's look at this passage to help us understand how we can walk the walk just like Packer dust. Two things come out of this passage. What message do the Jews try to convey as they walk back from Babylon 
to Jerusalem. Number one, the first message that they're trying to convey in their walk is that they are worshippers of Yahweh. They're worshippers of God. Let's take a look at our text in Ezra chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. These are the family heads and those who are registered with them who came back from Babylon from the reign of Artaxerxes, of the descendants of Phinehas, Goshem, the descendants of Ithamar, Daniel, of the descendants of David, Hattusht. The list starts off with the priest named Goshem and Daniel and the descendant of King David uh, named Hattusht. The very first thing that their walk is trying to convey is that this group that is marching back from Babylon to Jerusalem is not a, a, a fierce, bloody group like, this, like the Babylonians trying to destroy people. And the very first message to Trinket conveys that this is a priestly group. This is a worshipping community led by priests. This is a group of people at the heart of the center is the worship of God alone. That's why the priest lead the way. So if you were sojourning in the wilderness and you meet Ezra and his caravan of followers, what will be your first impression of them? You will be impressed that they are worshippers of God led by priests. Ezra and his group are not the first group to return to Jerusalem. Some 80 years ago in Ezra chapter 1, Zerubbabel had also led a group back. The priest was also very much part of the group, but they were not at the center, not the forefront. But after years of being in exile, I think Ezra and his people realized that worship needs to be at the forefront. Why? Perhaps living in Babylon have taught, taught them that their worth is, their worth is not in themselves. That nobody's in Babylon. Their worth comes from God, who had mercy upon them. Their worth comes because they are loved by God, they have access to God, and because God speaks to them and loves them. So 80 years on, as they make their way back again, the very first message they want to impress upon anyone they meet along the journey is that we are worshippers of God. That our worth comes because our God loves us. Our worth comes because we have access to the living God. We are priests. We can make our requests known before God. And because God cares for us. What about us? Is our walk marked by worship? Marked by the very fact that we are the royal priesthood of God. Remember what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. That's who we are. We're a royal priesthood. We need to sh show through our walk that we are royal priesthood. We are loved by God. We have this special access to God through Jesus Christ. Do we live it that will we live life that way? When G.I. Packer himself was 89 years old, he could no longer read or write because one of his eyes has a muscular degeneration problem that left him 
almost blind. His wife had to read him uh, the Bible and everything. Yet in an interview, um, when, a, and when an interviewer asked him how he felt after all his law ministry, but towards the end of life, he could not even read his own Bible. Jai Packer says, God knows what he's doing. Unlike older men and women who have grown cynical and skeptical at younger generations, Packer would have never succumbed himself to bitterness and self-pity. In fact, in his final interview, the interviewer asked Packer what his final words were for the church. Packer paused for a long while before answering in his British accent, Glorify God. And pausing yet for a few more moments, he adds, In every way. All through Packer's life, there was only one desire, even despite the fact that he could not even see towards the end of his life, he couldn't even read the Bible that he loved so much, that he'd invested his life in, even towards the end of his life, the very last things that he said was, glorify God in every way. He was a worshipper at heart and to the end. That's what God calls us to do. Do our walk show that we glorify God. Secondly, as Ezra and his uh, and the fellow Jews march back from the Babylon to Jerusalem, what do their walk signify? What message comes across from their walk? Secondly, the walk signifies that they are faithful children of God, and they march back. You will see that. Uh, the, the whole bunch of the Jews as they march back are divided into 12 groups. Look with me here at verse 3. The descendants of Shechaniah, thus, uh, the descendants of Poresht, Zechariah, and with him were the registered men 150. That's one group. Then in verse 4, the descendants of Pahab, Moab, uh, Elothonine, son of Zech uh, Zerahiah, and with him 200 men. That's another group. And in verse 5, the descendants of Zatu, uh, Shekaniah, son of Jehaziah, and with him 300 men. That's another group. If you go all the way down to verse 14, you'll find that the whole bunch of Jews returning with Ezra, other than the priest, are divided into 12 groups. They represent the 12 tribes of Israel marching back to the promised land. So if you were a, a sojourner in the wilderness and you meet Ezra halfway through his journey, what will you see? That this bunch of people are not only led by priests, but they are divided into 12 groups because they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And furthermore, chapter 7 verse 5 tells us that Ezra, the leader, was also a descendant of Aaron. And chapter 7 verse 9 tells us that when Ezra and the Jews began the journey, they began on the first day of the first month, the same time that Moses and Aaron left Egypt uh, in the book of Exodus. So what is God trying to tell us to you? This return of Ezra is not just any old return of a group of people. Rather, it's a new Exodus, led by Ezra, the descendant of Aaron, and his people, his covenantal people of 12 tribes 
following. Just as Israel came out of Egypt as the 12 tribes cherished by God, here Ezra leads the 12 tribes cherished by God in the new Exodus that's coming back. But there is a difference. In the first Exodus, while the Jews en route to the promised land under the eye of Aaron sinned against God by worshipping the golden calf, but here, Aaron's greater dis- Aaron's descendant, Ezra, would not want to sin against God because chapter 7 tells us that Ezra was a man skilled in the Word of God. He has devoted himself to the study, to the observation of the Word of God, to the teachings of his decrees across Israel. This is a faithful bunch of God's children marching back, declaring again that they are the ones redeemed by God. What does that have to say to us? It means, do our lives, do our walk reveal that we are redeemed by God, that that God is faithful in our lives, that we are faithful covenant keepers of God. So let's bring all of this back and let's apply this passage into our lives i want to do two points of application number one our lives are a journey how we walk in this life also conveys a message to this world do our lives like be like the priests glorify god i had a former church elder in my former church to love to plan the lives of his children Ever since his kids were young, he pressured them to study so they become doctors, so that they could marry at a certain age, so they could buy a house at a certain age, so they could buy a second house by a certain age. He planned everything for his children. But the thing that he never planned for his children is for the kingdom of God and for eternity. All he planned for his children was yet right here and right now. Do our lives and our planning show that God exists, that we actually do not just worship the things of this earth, but worship God? The thing that marked Ezra's walk that's different from other walks back to Jerusalem is that they were a worshipping community. What about us? Do our lives show that we worship God or just money and success. Secondly, we are called to show the world that we are faithful children of God. After all these years since the Exodus, the Jews have kept their identity as the 12 beloved tribes of Israel. What about us? Are we faithful in passing to the next generation that we are children of God, that we are redeemed by God? Do we deliberately fashion our parenting, fashion our teaching, fashion our own lives so that we reflect that Satan is not the king of our lives, but God is, that we are faithful children of God. I want to conclude with another story by J.I. Packer, from J.I. Packer's life. When J.I. Packer was growing up in England, Every schoolboy in that era and in that area had a right while they were growing up. When they turned 11, 
every schoolboy in his school and in his area would request their parents for a bicycle. And every parent know that uh, know that when a child, especially a boy, turns eleven, the parent needs to purchase for the son a bicycle. It was like a, a right of maturity. And um, before Packer turned 11, he began dropping hints at his parents that he would love a bicycle. However, his parents knew that um, it was not a wise choice to give uh, Packer a bicycle. You see, when Packer was a little boy, he was bullied by a bully. And to run away from the bully, he got into a car accident. And the car accident hurt him such that his brain was damaged. And there was a successful surgery done to his brain, but they had to remove uh, a portion of the bones in the brains. So for years, uh, uh, Packer had problems with his, uh, with his brain and with the injury. And the parents knew that if they were to give Packer a bicycle, and if he runs into further accident, it would not be good for him since he was already not well in the first place. So do you know what they got their son instead? On the morning of Packer's 11th birthday in 1937, Packer wandered down from his bedroom to see what present awaited him. The family had a tradition that they would always place the birthday gift underneath the dining table in the house. So he ran to the dining table, kneeled down to see what was there. He was expecting a bicycle. Instead, he found for himself an Oliver typewriter that weighed almost a ton. It was old, but it was still in excellent condition. Initially, Packer was chestfallen. He was disappointed. He wanted to be like the other kids, to have a brand new bicycle waiting for him. But what his parents gave him was a typewriter. He was disappointed, but the parents knew well. They had been observing Packer for a long time, and they knew that Packer was not so much the, an outdoorsy person, an active outdoorsy kid, but Packer, even when he was very young, was a very, very contemplative boy who loved to read and write. And because the parents knew Packer, and because they were thinking about the future of what kind of a gift God has given Packer, they decided against Packer's wishes to buy for Packer and an old typewriter because they knew somehow that the typewriter would advance God's kingdom in Packer much more effectively than a bicycle. And true enough, because of the typewriter, Packer developed his writing skills more and more and more. And later, God used Packer tremendously to impact the kingdom of God in dynamic ways through his writings. The parents knew and had the kingdom of God in mind when they were helping raise Packer. What about us? What do we give our children? Just material things? Success in this life? More homes and money and shares that will one day disappear and, and, and will one day be gone?
gone? Or do we give them gifts that will advance the kingdom of God in ways that will last through all eternity? Packer may be gone, but the work that he had done for God's kingdom will persevere for years and years to come. Why? Because his parents knew how to develop, to train up a child with eternity in mind. What about us? Do we show the next generation and the generations to come that we are the faithful children of God? Ezra and his caravan of Jews live to show that they are the faithful children of God all the way back from the Exodus. What about us? Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you can use this strange and difficult passage to bring to us your truths. Your truths about your kingdom. Your truths about your word. Your truths about how you work in our lives. So, Father, we thank you that you have called us to reflect you in our walk with you. Help our walk show the world that we worship a glorious, a living God. That our walk will tell the world that we are redeemed and loved, cherished by this God of the universe in Jesus Christ. So Father, we just want to pray. Teach us how to be walking sermons of yours. Not just in our words but in our actions, in the way we structure our lives, in the way we talk to our children, in the way we discipline our children, in the way we live. May we show the world that our lives revolved around the kingdom of God, which will never pass away. So give us eyes to see beyond this world that is fading and passing away. Help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus and all his treasures that have never passed away. May our decisions this week to come reflect this resolved in our hearts to make Jesus glorious, to make Jesus once again victorious, to make Jesus once again our treasure in everything that we do. So, Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray again that, Father, you will inhabit our lives. May the Spirit of God take control of our lives again, that we will be led again and again by your Spirit. This we ask in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.